Welcome to the Evidence-Based Pilates Podcast with your host, Adam McAtee. This podcast provides you the tools and confidence to become a fearless and evidence-based Pilates instructor, which is exactly why we're going to dive right in. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Evidence-Based Pilates Podcast. And I just wanna take a moment uh, before we dive into today's topic on osteoporosis to thank you for taking the time out of your day uh, to to give this podcast a, a listen and to help enhance your knowledge. And something that would mean the world to me is if you just took a moment to give this podcast a five-star review or even write a review based on your experience. Uh, This helps me know that you're listening and and allows the podcast to grow. I do this 100% uh, out of my free time, and I just wanna help uh, Pilates instructors grow into evidence-based practitioners, and that is a very small thing that you can do to help that mission happen. Um, But without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into it. Today, we're talking about osteoporosis. And osteoporosis is a very, uh, it's most prevalent in individuals uh, that are postmenopausal uh, women, and postmenopausal women are are a, a, a significant portion of the population that comes into the Pilates studio. Hence, why this is a chosen topic for a Pilates-based podcast. <laughs> okay, we're gonna have an awesome time, and you're gonna learn some things along the way. Uh, to get the conversation started, it's always really helpful to have a very clear definition that's agreed upon by all parties. And the, when I say osteoporosis, okay, the definition of osteoporosis is a skeletal disorder characterized by a, a compromised bone strength. Okay? And what this does is it predisposes someone to uh, fractures. Okay? So an individual with osteoporosis has a decrease of bone strength. Okay? And this ends up compromising the integrity of the bone and leading them to having a higher risk of potential fractures. So so the the thing is like the bones aren't as strong and the problem is they could break a little bit easier. Okay, that's what we're talking about with osteoporosis. And osteoporosis, like like anytime you, you study anatomy, okay, like just like sidebar, if you learn the Latin root of what the pieces of the word mean, you're no longer just memorizing anatomy to memorize it. You're giving meaning to the words, which helps you actually understand it. So osteoporosis has three parts, okay? You have osteoporo and then osis. What osteo means, osteo just means bone. So like osteomyelitis, right? That's an infection of bone because it says osteo. So osteoporosis, osteo equals bone. Now, osteoporosis in the middle has poro, which means porous. And, and porous just means that it has holes, right? So something has holes, and if something has holes, things can go through a little bit easier. In this case, they're, a little, they're not as strong. So this is a bone with more holes, okay? And in osis just means um, like a disorder, okay? So this is a bone disorder, and the disorder is characterized by having uh, more holes in the bone, essentially. Okay, we're gonna talk about that because that's called the trabeculi. Um, so, so with that, okay, like that's what osteoporosis means and that's what osteoporosis is. And, and, when, and when we're talking about like a bone um, condition, 
it's helpful to have like a little bit of an understanding of bone and bone itself because it's hard to understand it stand a bone condition if you don't know bone um, so so bone just like a really simple overview you have like two aspects of bone okay you have what's called the cortical bone and the trabecular the, tra the trabecular bone okay there's different names for it. like sometimes cortical is called uh, like compact bone and sometimes trabeculi is called spongy bone for the sake of our conversation, cortical bone and trabecular bone, okay? Cortical bone uh, comes from the word cortex, okay? Cortex is just like the outer layer. Like your brain has, you have like a cerebral cortex, okay, the outer layer. You have a cortex around your kidney, the outer layer of your kidney. And so cortical bone just means the outer layer of the bone. It's like the solid part of the bone, okay? Like if you see like a dog bone, Right? Like you see like that would be the cortical part of the bone. That, that, that's what you see. Okay? If you ever see a skeleton, like a real skeleton, like in a cadaver, like you're seeing the cortical part of the bone. Okay? Now the trabeculae is common, commonly called spongy bone because it looks kind of spongy. Uh, trabeculae comes from, uh, like trabeculae comes from trabecular, which just means, um, it means like uh, beams. Okay? It, it's like your infrastructure. Like if you're going to build a house, you're going to start with some beams. It's going to give you the strength. Okay? And, and this is where, because um, it's like an, like a, like an interweb, interweb of, uh, interwebbing system inside of your bones that provided stability and support. Okay? And within that, you have holes in it, or you really have these, these little lanes that, um, that metabolites can go in and out of. But what, what ends up happening with osteoporosis, right, because we have porous, meaning holes, is that you have less trabeculae. You have less beams inside of your bone. And, and as a result of that, you, you don't have as strong of an infrastructure, and the bones could break more easily. Okay, it's because the trabeculae, primarily, like, it, like osteoporosis does affect cortical bone, but cortical bone doesn't absorb the forces as well as trabeculae. So we really focus on the trabecular part of the bone. Uh, if this is making you googly eye, don't worry. We're almost gonna get out of bone, <laughs> I promise. Okay, bone is not just like this like sterile like substance. Like this is one of the most metabolically active tissues in your body, okay? It acts as like calcium storage, for example. Like uh, that's why a lot of times they say like have calcium for, um, for your bones, you know, as well as other metabolites, like, like um, a reduction in vitamin D is associated with, uh, with osteoporosis. So it, like, although this is outside of the scope of our practice, if you go read up on sources, common like supplements or, or, or uh, diets to have are high vitamin D and high um, calcium, even though going outside is helpful for vitamin D too. But that's outside of my scope, so I'm not gonna talk about that. Um, but we, we do do exercises because, because uh, the trabeculi also help absorb uh, forces. And, and, and what's awesome about trabeculi is that they actually adapt to the forces. So depending on like where the forces are coming from, the trabeculi, kind of like collagen, will align itself in, in such a way, okay, in such a way that it is aligned with the forces that are absorbed on that bone. Okay? So your body is adaptive, and, and this is actually called Wolf's Law. Okay, Wolf's Law is, is just that like bone, it states that bone is laid down in places of high stresses and reabsorbed in places of low stresses. 
meaning that the, place, the places that you like stress the bone a lot, the trabeculae is gonna be heavier there, meaning you're gonna have more of it, it's gonna be more dense, okay? You'll have more bone mineral density um, in that area, and it's going to align itself in according to the direction of those loads over time. And then the opposites also happen, is, is true, right? Bone will be reabsorbed at places of low stress, right? Like low stress would be like, like bed rest, right? Bed rest, you, you, uh, if, an, if an older adult is, is succumbed to bed rest, you're more likely to have osteoporosis, right? You're gonna re have a reduction in bone mineral density because your bones are going to be reabsorbed. Okay? In other words, I keep exercising. <laughs> That's what all that means, okay? Keep exercising, but your bones are like highly metabolic and they adapt to impose demands just like other tissues. Okay? When we talk about like um, osteoporosis, by the way, you actually get the, uh, this is a medical diagnosis. So you don't, it's not a clinical diagnosis where like a, like a clinical diagnosis can be done by a physio, at least here in the States, where like we see something or we do some tests and then we give you a diagnosis. Um, a medical diagnosis, you actually have to have objective tests, right? And, and for osteoporosis, um, the, an objective test that they do is called a DEXA scan. Um, so, so within a DEXA scan, you end up getting a score and, and that score is called a T-score. It represents the amount of trabeculae that you have. Okay. Um, and they do it, I want to say like lumbar spine and like femoral neck hip joint. Okay. There might be one more in there. Uh, but those are places of high load. That's why they do it. That's why they, they that's one reason why they do it there. Um, these are just numbers, so it, it, don't memorize numbers, learn concepts. Uh, for, for a normal DEXA scan, it's anywhere between like a 1.0 score or negative one. Um, and then you have osteopenia, right? We haven't really talked about that, but so osteopenia, it, it, it does exist, it's real. Um, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a lower DEXA score, right? You, you're not, you don't have normal bone density because the DEXA score is um, measuring your, your trabeculae, which is your bone density. Okay, um, so osteopenia, you have less bone density. You have a score between negative one and negative 2.5. Okay, the normal is between one and negative one. That's quote unquote normal. And then osteopenia is almost like pre-diabetic, right? It's like you're not quite there, but you're on that trajectory. Like you, you need to make a change, basically, okay? And then osteoporosis is anywhere like negative 2.5 or below, okay? So that is a, a big reduction in bone density. And what all of this means is that you have less, you have like less beams inside of your bone, right? The spongy bone, the trabeculae, okay? You have less of that. And as a result, you can't absorb forces as well. So something that usually wouldn't break a bone could actually break a bone now, right? And, and that's, that, that's why we have this concern with osteoporosis. Cause like osteoporosis, like you, you have a problem, right? Your problem is that your, your bones are, are not as strong. And that's really just like, it's not actually the problem, it's the vulnerability. The actual problem is now you got hit by something, like, like you fell. So you got hit by the floor. And as a result of that, that exposes that vulnerability that you have, right? Which is that your hip isn't as strong and now you broke your hip. And this is a really big problem, uh, so especially with older adults. So older adults are more likely to have osteoporosis than like a 22 year old, okay? Um, so when older adults go, uh, they like when they let's say they break their hip and then they go into the hospital, they have an 800 they, within three months. They have an 800% chance, okay, 800% higher likelihood of dying. And it in sometimes and a lot of times it's not even actually due to the hip. It's due to like an infection that that they got or a comorbidity uh, that they got, um, you know, or that that they had and then surgery inflamed it 
or, or if you got an infection during your time at the hospital, then you went into a skilled nursing facility and it all went downhill, all because of a fall that's highly preventable uh, because balanced exercises uh, help prevent falls. Um, so this is, I just want to lay it out here, like this is high value, like you could, you literally add years to someone's life by being a more informed instructor, which is why I do this podcast, right? And, and, I, and I want to help as many people um, as possible, and I also want you to help as many people as possible, which is why if you haven't left a review, please do it. It, it means, it, it's like such a small thing that you can do, and it means, it, it, has, such a, it has such a cascade effect to help people, right? This is all about helping people. Um, but, but with this, right, when we're talking about like exercise, okay, we, we want to like, in, like if, if our problem is like not enough bone density, our solution is let's create more bone density. Okay, like it's, it's, it's that simple, right? I don't have strong enough bones, let's get stronger bones. Now, when, now, when we apply forces to bones, there's, there's, there's five, there's really like five types of forces that we can apply to bones. We can apply a compression force. Uh, compression a lot of times is like a demonized force. It's actually like medicine, right? So, so your bones need compression. Um, so a compression force is when we're squishing something together, right? Like you're squishing the top end and the bottom end together. That would be a compression force. The opposite of that is called a tensile force. Okay, that's when you're putting a, like a bone under tension. Um, so that's like a pulling, right? Compression would be pushing. Um, tensile forces are pulling. Muscles pull, right? So tensile forces are awesome, right? Like you got to move your muscles or move your bones by contracting your muscles and that's a tensile force. We also have shear forces and a shear force is like a sideways force. Like if you were standing, right? If you were standing and someone hit you in the middle of your femur, like they came from the side and they tackled you, that's a shear force onto your, um, onto your femoral shaft, okay? So we're not interested so much in, in shear forces. Uh, torsion forces just means like twisting. It's like a circular force, okay? If you were like planting and then your foot was stuck and then you twisted, right? That would be a torsion force. And then a bending force is like if you had like, if you had your hands on like one end of a bone and then your hand on the other end of a bone and you tried to snap it in half, that'd be a bending force. Right? Not all of these sound very good. <laughs> I kind of don't want a lot of bending forces, um, but your bones actually do bend, right? When you pull on muscles, uh, they bend them just a little bit. So like a little bit of bending is fine, a little bit of torsion is fine, a little bit of shearing is fine. But the, the bone is actually strongest, okay? With what's called longitudinal forces. So forces that go like uh, um, from like top to bottom or from one end to the next, they go the long way along a bone. And the and two forces that do that are compression forces and tensile forces, okay? Compression equals good, okay? Too much compression equals bad, right? If you have too much compression, like a bus falls on you, you're dead because <laughs> you got squished. It's too much compression. But like too much water and you drown, right? But water isn't bad. Just like too much water is bad. So compression is really good. Compression is a force for good. Your bones are strongest in compression. That means we can apply the most force to the bone in, com in compression. And also tensile forces. And that makes sense, right? If you use your muscles, if you get muscles stronger, you get stronger bones. Like we kind of know that. But then the reason is like, well, it's, bones are really good at, ten at absorbing tensile forces. Of course. 
Like, why would we have muscles if our bones couldn't tolerate the muscles pulling on the bones? Okay? But it's key to recognize that two, the two ways that the body's strongest, the two forces, are compression forces and tensile forces. And a lot of times we just focus on tensile forces when it comes with osteoporosis. We don't focus on the compression forces. We actually try to, it's like a lot of times, not, not, yeah, not you or me, but like them, a lot of times, uh, you know, there, there's a dialogue of actually avoiding compression forces. So it's like telling people that the, the medicine is the poison. It, it, it's a problem. Um, but not all forces are the same, right? Bone is actually what's called a viscoelastic tissue. Isn't that a cool word? Viscoelastic. Um, what that basically means is that it, it, it behaves differently based on the forces that are acted on it. So not all, not all forces are the same with bones. Right? Isometrics actually aren't what you want to do, um, even if it burns a lot. It's healthy for the human, but it's not a good bone building strategy because bones, are, bones actually tolerate the most force when the force is done really fast. Okay? It, it, you want to do strong forces really quick. That's like stomping, jumping, okay? not moving slow and controlled. Now, moving slow and controlled, I'm not demonizing it. Right? This is all about like thinking about why are we making a decision? Because sometimes doing something quick and fast is a really bad idea. <laughs> right? I'm not an advocate to only do that. But when we're talking about like how can we apply forces onto bones to get them stronger, we need to apply as much force as possible that that bone can tolerate. Bones can tolerate more force when you do it really fast and you do it quick. Stomping, jumping, hopping, skipping, okay? And notice how all of these are compression. Stomping, you're compressing your lower extremities on the floor. Jumping, compressing the lower extremities onto the floor, okay? But this could also work with tensile forces, right? Maybe when you're pulling the straps for osteoporosis, you actually emphasize pulling fast because you want to stimulate the bone more, right? And so this is where it's this is where like we graduate from becoming like like really good instructor to being like a fucking Jedi, okay? Meaning, <laughs> what I mean by do you like the passion, right? Like Jedi. So when you become like a Pilates Jedi, like you, you recognize that. There, there are no bad exercises, okay? There's just exercises that you're prepared for and there's exercises that you're not prepared for. And then it's like, how do I prepare you for that exercise? Or, you know, as an instructor, it's like, I know I can make this decision and all these decisions are correct. Now, the reason why I'm making the decision for this person with osteoporosis to pull the strap fast is because I want to load that as much as possible and bone tolerates more forces when they're applied quickly and this person needs their bones to get stronger. Now, if I was working with someone who maybe had like a pain condition, maybe I would do more isometrics, right? Because sometimes that's a short-term pain strategy. And this is where it's like, when we're, making, when we're working with people with osteoporosis, we're making a decision for a reason. And the reason it leads, it needs to lead to one, uh, getting stronger bones, and then two, reducing falls. 
If you do that for someone with osteoporosis, you can add years onto their life. Okay, this, is, this, this has a ton of value, not for me, not for you, or maybe for you, maybe for me in, in the future, but for the clients that you're working with, right? Like that's who we wanna help. Um, and, and so that just goes back to like, there's two problems, right? We got two problems with osteoporosis. The bones are not as strong. The, the human is resilient. They are not fragile. That human is a beast. And we got to wake that beast up, okay? But the bones are more vulnerable. You hear that, how that language is different? The human is not fragile. The human is a beast, okay? They can do incredible things. But we're all vulnerable somewhere, and they happen to be vulnerable in their bones. Okay. So that's, our, that's one problem. The next problem is that uh, falling exacerbates that vulnerability, right? And then if they fall, they break their hip. Now they're in trouble, right? Now they got a higher, honestly, it's, it sucks. It's like they have a higher chance of dying if they're older adult, way higher. Okay, don't want to go through that. And we can prevent it. So uh, then our solutions are like, you know, get stronger bones and let's do some balance exercises. Now, but there are contraindications for, um, are, 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 how do I say it? Like there aren't like guideline-based contraindications. There are no like, these are the JOSPT guidelines for osteoporosis. I don't know why there aren't. I really don't. But we do have like what's called consensus statements where big organizations take as much literature as we have and they create sensible um, solutions, okay? So contraindications that, um, that organizations come up with are really simple and they're really easy to avoid, okay? It's just excessive bending and twisting, especially with load. Okay? A lot of, that's a lot of Pilates repertoire. How you define excessive is like, uh, I think that's why they put the word excessive in there because they don't know how to define it. Um, it very much depends on the person, right? What's excessive to person number one is totally different than what's excessive to person number two. Or even for me, um, like as an instructor, what, what I would have thought was excessive, like the first two years of my career, is very different than what I would think is excessive today. So it's highly subjective. But what we can take from it is we want to avoid like a lot of bending and twisting, right? That's pretty sensible. And then we're not going to do it under load. And tell me, like, I'll tell you, like, I'm the last person, I'm like one of the last people to ever say, don't do this type of exercise with this human, okay? But the only evidence we have is that it's not a good idea, and the biomechanical theory also supports that. Uh, there is like one trial, like back in the 80s, where they compared flexion exercises with postmenopausal women. I think it was only like 11 people in each group, and then they, and then they um, compared extension exercises and then they saw who had wedge fractures um, I think it was like a year later and it like um, it was almost everyone in the flexion group had one and then like some people in the extension group so so we didn't really need to like replicate that study is my hypothesis of why there's just one back in the 80s um, <laughs> meaning like who like would you like, like like if you knew this right like everyone like got like almost everyone got a wedge fracture. Wedge fracture, by the way, is a fracture of the vertebral body. So they fractured their spine, right? It's a problem. 
Uh, like, would you, would, would you tell your grandma who has osteoporosis, she helped raise you, you care about her, you just want the best for her, would you tell her to volunteer for the next study on flexion versus extension exercises and go in the flexion group? Uh, I, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> I'd be like, I don't know. Um, you know, and, and I'm, a, I'm a complete movement optimist. Okay, and that's one where I'm like, ah, I, I probably wouldn't. Okay, because I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be wrong. Um, in that case. So, so with that, um, it's, it's a little bit of a rabbit hole. We don't have strong evidence. The only evidence that we have is that the forward bendings, you know, not the best idea for this population. Um, it doesn't mean that they're not going to flex during exercises. It's just like I wouldn't hand them like a 20 pound, like our 20 kg, uh, depending on your metrics, uh, weight and tell them to do the roll up. Right? Like I'm kind of asking for trouble. However, um, they can do like a million other exercises or like a million and five other exercises. There's so much to do um, with this population, which is why I'm doing a workshop um, um, this week, this coming up weekend, which would be, um, you know, May 2023. If you're listening to this when this first came out, I'm doing a whole workshop on this um, and I'll put, I'll put the link in the bio if you want to join us. Um, so, so like what we can do is, is that we can do like weight bearing exercise, right? Why would we want to do weight bearing exercise? Think about that, right? We want compressive forces on the bones. Okay. We, we want the compressive forces on the bones. We also want high impact and high loads. Okay. And this isn't just like uh, from theory, right? We've done studies. Is it, um, it was um, Lambert et al. in 2019. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, they did a study where they compared um, high-intensity, high-impact loading. What, what that means is like jumping, um, um, you know, uh, yeah, jumping, skipping, hopping, things like that, high-impact, okay, high-compressive forces. And they compared it to high-intensity resistance training. Right, that's like, you know, heavy deadlifts, heavy bench presses, things like that. Like, um, not impact, but like lifting weights, like lifting heavy shit. Okay, and they compared like what was the effect of on bone. Okay, and it turns out, which is pretty logical, that the the high impact group it had a greater effect on the distal ends of bones. And if you think about it, like, oh, that makes sense because when I stomp, right? When I stomp, I'm stomping with my foot. So my foot is gonna absorb most of the forces. When I press down with my hands, right, my hands are gonna get most of the force and it's gonna dissipate on, um, up the chain through the body. Okay? So, so high, um, high intensity impact training was more helpful to distal ends of bones um, than, res than high resistance training. But high resistance training had a better impact on the shaft of bones than it did the distal end. And, and, what that, and that makes sense, right? Because muscles are going to pull on the bones, okay? And so when you're applying a lot of tensile forces, it goes up the bone a little bit. It's pulling on it, okay? It's pulling on the shaft of the bone. And if you're unfamiliar with the shaft, that means like the long middle part, like, like your femur, like your femoral shaft, the shaft of your femur is like the middle of your thigh, okay? Just like the long, the long part. Um, now that wasn't an osteoporotic population. So then when, so, but it was just like humans, right? Um, doing that. I think they were physically inactive uh, prior. Now, now with this, um, they did do, it's called a lift motor trial. 
um, I'll, I'll put this in the show notes as well. They, they compared high intensity and high resistance training, like in one group. I think it was 49 uh, postmenopausal women were in that group. And then um, I think it was like 51 uh, postmenopausal women were in another uh, control group that did like low intensity, like walking and you know, th- things of that nature. So they were comparing like high intensity, high, resi- high intensity impact and resistance training to low intensity training. And what they wanted to see was like, what was the effect of high intensity training, right? Like, is it superior to low intensity and is it safe? And what they found, what they found was incredible. They not only slowed down, okay? But they not only slowed down the bone loss, a lot of times that's just a win, right? We slowed down people losing bone the rate of it. That's oftentimes considered an effective measurement or um, an effective uh, treatment. They actually reversed it. So they were grow- They were able to, to get more bone, okay? They were laying down more bone in postmenopausal women with only the, or with the high intensity and high resistance training. It was superior to the low intensity training. So it showed that high, it, showed, it was promising that high intensity and high resistance training may be superior to low intensity training in terms of developing, um, in, in terms of treating osteoporosis. But what was also important, okay, what was also so important was that there were no fractures. Nobody got hurt, okay? And this was like Nacho Mama's workout, okay? I mean, anyone can do this, but point of meaning, like it, it was, it, this was high intensity, okay? What they were doing, they were doing like freaking heavy ass deadlifts. They were doing freaking back squats. They were doing pull-ups and you know what they did with the pull-ups? You pulled up and then at the top, you let go. Okay, they did, I, I, oh, I forget the term, it's like drop pull-ups, pull-up drops, something like that, where you pull up and you drop because what they wanted to do was they wanted the high impact of dropping, okay, from a bar and landing on the floor, okay? These were not 25-year-olds training for track team, okay? These were postmenopausal women with osteopenia and osteoporosis, okay? These people were doing pull-ups and then dropping, and they had no adverse effects, and in fact, it was an awesome thing for their bone density, okay? And, and we, can, we, we can't necessarily drop people from a pull-up bar from, <laughs> from Pilates, but we can do things, okay? Because weight-bearing exercise is freaking awesome for, um, for bones and for loading. And, and there was actually a study that I'll put in the show notes that, that, that looked at the loading of the hip joint, okay? The hip joint meaning like your femoral head in, in your hip, okay, your acetabulum, and the contact between them, okay? That, that, that's a... That's a, a a very large weight-bearing spot, and actually it's somewhere, somewhere that they, they scan for the DEXA scan for bone density. So what they did was they, 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 they found how much load was on that joint during activities, and they found that just sitting up and sitting down, you have three times body weight, freaking three times your body weight on your hip joint from just sitting up and standing down. That's a weight-bearing activity. Whoa. Isn't that crazy? Right? You, you, wouldn't you think it's just your body weight? Walking, okay, just walking is four times body weight. And those are all low intensity. Four times body weight onto the hip, okay? Stairs, stairs was a little bit higher than walking, but it was still in that realm of like four times body weight, going up and down. I think down was a little bit more, okay? But it's like within the margin for error. 
Now, if you did stairs while holding a 25 kg weight, it was five times body weight. If you're just walking and carrying a 50 kg weight, six times your body weight is going onto your hip. And that's just carrying. Imagine if you, if you did squats with that, if, if you did some kind of high impact with that, okay? The more you load the body, the more um, tensile and the more compressive forces we're going to get along the bones. And if you do it fast, the bones will be able to tolerate it better because they respond better to fast and quick loads. But when we're talking about Pilates, right, there's like, no, there's these like contraindications. Like, yes, but they're really easy to avoid, right? Um, we just have to kind of step outside of the, the general Pilates repertoire a lot because we, we, we have such an emphasis on bending the spine and all these wonderful things, but that doesn't serve every human, right? But you can still help someone. You have so many freaking tools. And that's why I'm doing the workshop. Uh, this Saturday to be like, oh, there's so much I want to share with you. It, it, uh, this, I, like, you're just going to walk away with like dozens and dozens of exercises that you can immediately just help people, but osteo, also osteoporotic clients. But when we're, what we, things we want to avoid are like the rolling exercises, right? So when you, when you flex the spine forward, okay, the, what happens is the anterior aspect, meaning the front aspect of the, of the vertebral bodies, they have higher compression forces because there's more pressure and that can lead to a wedge fracture, which osteoporotic uh, people are more prone to, okay? So when we flex forward and we hold it and then we're rolling, we're adding to that compression. So like, I, I, I'm, it like pains me to say don't do, don't do this exercise with this human, but I would avoid it, okay? Like that could be um, also things like the roll up, like your short spines, even chest lifting, um, roll over, things like that. Like there's, like you, you may be able to get away with it, right? You may have someone been doing it for years and you might be able to get away with it. But um, in terms of guideline-based care, I don't recommend it. Um, and, and, but I wouldn't even focus on that because there's like a, like a million other exercises you can do and help someone a lot more than that because, because we want to do weight-bearing exercise anyways. So um, laying on your back isn't really, um, it, I wouldn't have that be a strong part of your program with an osteoporotic um, client. I, I, I recommend having them upright as much as possible. Weight bearing, so they need to bear their weight. So like a million other exercises, okay, this can be anything from like standing up and like stomping on a floor, right? And, and not even stomping on the mat, I'm talking about the floor with, a, with like a freaking bare foot, <laughs> okay? Stomp on the floor. Okay, this could be like running in place. You could do like, like some jumps or little hops, okay? You can do step ups where you're stepping up on a box and down if you trust them with the balance, okay? Um, you can put like an extra spring on like almost anything as long as we're, you know, not as, like when you're pushing or pulling with your legs or your hands, add an extra spring or two. I have a whole freaking workshop called, um, what was it? Building Strength and Muscle in Pilates that the whole thing, like the takeaway is like, just add a spring, <laughs> just do that, okay? Do strength exercises with these people and, and like, um, and also balance exercises, okay? We're gonna go over heaps of balance exercises and how you can manipulate uh, the body in, in really skilled ways to, to improve balance in a really safe way for this population. 
because like we don't need you don't need to risk falling to do balance exercises <laughs> right like like our, our the whole point of like doing a balance exercise with the population is to avoid a fracture or avoid a fall and then avoid a fracture so like let's not create a fall <laughs> like during a balance exercise but also still really challenge their balance okay we're going to go over a ton of that um that could be like standing on one leg uh, tandem stance, walking in tandem stance, adding head turns to an exercise, um, having the eyes closed during an exercise, depending on the conditions, using the reformer like the pulley straps in, in really skilled ways to add perturbation to your center of gravity. Uh, there's so many things you can do. Um, but at the end of the day, like one thing that is uh, that's important to recall um, is that like I'm not anti-slowing control exercise. It's not my favorite, like I get bored with it, but I'm not anti it. So if someone likes it, do it, right? Um, but if you are, if someone is hiring you as their Pilates instructor and, and they have osteoporosis and they would like to increase their bone density, slowing control is the opposite of what their bones need. Their bones need faster movements, quicker movements. Sometimes you have to move slowly at first to prepare them for that, right? Don't take Betty out of like the wheelchair if she, you know, if she's like just showing up and have her start to jump off boxes. That's a bad idea, right? Don't be stupid. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying, right? I like build people up, but challenge them, okay? And challenge them with speed and challenge them with quick movements. Uh, with that, I hope that this, this conversation on osteoporosis has been helpful. I'd love to see you in the workshop, um, but nonetheless, okay, go ahead and add a spring to the clients that you're working with with osteoporosis. Unfortunately, we do, have to, we do, we do need to avoid you know, strong flexion with load and rotation just due to the, the, the forces um, on the vertebral bodies, but there are so many things you can do. And, and applying these principles can be incredibly valuable, uh, maybe for you, but definitely for your clients. Okay, you can add years to their lives, and I hope that this helped contribute uh, to your knowledge. And until next time, okay, I will go ahead and see you when I see you. If you haven't left a review yet, please go ahead and do so. It means the world to me, and go do something that you love to do today. See ya. I hope you enjoyed this episode and in return, I would love it if you could leave a positive review so that I know that you're listening and benefiting from this podcast. I do this 100% for free from my spare time and I just want to help the Pilates industry learn and grow and when reviews grow on a podcast, they become more visible and therefore more helpful to the community. Um, as always, you're welcome to, to reach out to me personally as well for any of your thoughts as well as a request for future episodes. And of course, if you'd like to learn more, you are welcome to go to the Evidence-Based Pilates platform with the link in my bio and browse any of the courses that we have to offer. Uh, have an incredible day.